Once upon a podcast. Once upon a time. In a time before time. time, before time. The world is one one there was once a beautiful princess. This is the Mythology Podcast. Modern retellings of ancient myth. I am your Mythology. Mythology. Does whatever a Mythology does. Today's episode. Jamie Friel and the Young Lady, a Donegal Tale. Down in Finette, in times gone by, lived Jamie Friel and his mother. Jamie was the widow's sole support. His strong arm worked for her untiringly. And as such, each Saturday night came around, he poured his wages into her lap and thanked her dutifully for the penny and a half which she kindly returned to him for tobacco. He was extolled by his neighbors as the best son ever known or heard of. But he had neighbors of whose opinion he was ignorant. Neighbors who lived pretty close to him whom he had never seen. Neighbors who are indeed rarely seen by mortals except perchance on All Hallows' Eve. An old ruined castle about a quarter of a mile from his cabin was said to be the abode of the wee folk. Every Hallows' Eve, the ancient windows were lighted up and passers-by saw little figures flitting to and fro inside the building while they heard the music of pipes and flutes. It was well known that great and wonderful fairy banquets took place here, but no one had the courage to intrude upon them. Jamie had often watched the little figures from a distance and listened to the charming music, wondering what the inside of the castle was like. But one Hallow's Eve, he got up and took his cap, saying to his mother, I'm away to the castle to seek my fortune. What? she cried. Would you venture there, you that's the poor widow's son? Don't be so venturesome and foolish, Jamie. They'll kill you, and then what'll come of me? Never fear, mother. No harm'll happen to me, but I must go. He set out, and as he crossed the potato field, came inside of the castle, whose windows were ablaze with light that seemed to turn the russet leaves still clinging to the crabtree branches into magnificent leaves of pure gold. Halting in the grove at one side of the ruin, he listened to the elfin revelry, and the laughter and singing made him all the more determined to proceed. Numbers of little people, the largest about the size of a child of five years old, were dancing to the music of flutes and fiddles while others drank and feasted. Welcome, Jamie Friel. Welcome, welcome, Jamie, cried the company, perceiving their visitor. The word welcome was caught up and repeated by every voice in the castle. Time flew, and Jamie was enjoying himself very much when the host said, We're going to ride to Dublin tonight to steal a young lady. Will you come too, Jamie Friel? Aye, that I will cried the rash youth, thirsting for adventure. 
A troop of horses stood at the door. Jamie mounted, and his steed rose with him into the air. He was presently flying over his mother's cottage, surrounded by the elfin troops, and on and on they went, over bold mountains, over little hills, over towns and cottages, high above the people below who were burning nuts and eating apples and keeping a merry Halloween. It seemed to Jamie that they flew all around Ireland before they got to Dublin. This is Derry, said the fairies, flying over the cathedral spire. And what was said by one voice was repeated by all the rest, till fifty little voices were crying out, Derry, 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 In like manner was Jamie informed as they passed over each town on the route, and at length he heard the silvery voices cry, it was no mean dwelling that was to be honored by the fairy visit, but one of the finest houses in Stephen's Green. The troop dismounted near a window, and Jamie saw a beautiful face on a pillow in a splendid bed. He saw the young lady lifted and carried away, while a stick from a tree was dropped in her place on the bed and immediately took on itself her exact form. This was often how the wee folks stole humans away, using their ancient magic to create a would-be corpse so that no one would come looking for the missing persons. The lady was then placed before one rider and carried a short way, then given to another, and the names of the towns were cried out as before. They were approaching home. Jamie heard, and then he knew they were near his own house. You've all had your turn at carrying the young lady, he said. Why wouldn't I get her for a wee piece? Aye, Jamie, replied they pleasantly. You may take your turn at carrying her, to be sure. Holding his prize very tightly, he dropped down near his mother's door. Jamie Freel, Jamie Freel, is that the way you treat us? cried they, and they too dropped down near the door. Jamie held fast though he knew not what he was holding, for the little folk turned the lady into all sorts of strange shapes. At one moment, she was a black dog, barking and trying to bite. At another, a glowing bar of iron, which yet had no heat. Then again, a sack of wool. But still Jamie held her, and the baffled elves were turning away when a tiny woman, the smallest of the party, exclaimed, Jamie Freel has taken her away from us. But he shall have no good come from her, for I'll make her deaf and dumb. And she threw something over the young girl. While they rode off disappointed, Jamie lifted the latch and went in. Jamie, man, cried his mother, you've been away all night. What have they done on you? Nothing bad, mother. I had the best of good luck. See here is a beautiful young lady. I have brought you for company. Bless and save us exclaimed the mother, and for some minutes she was so astonished that she could not think of anything else to say. Jamie told his story of the night's adventure, ending by saying, Surely you wouldn't have allowed me to let her gang with them wee folk, only to be lost forever. But a lady, Jamie, how can a lady eat? We have a poor diet and we live in a poor way. I ask you that, how can she eat, you foolish fellow? Well, mother, sure it's better for her to be here than over in yonder ruined castle. 
and he pointed in the direction of the wee folk stronghold. Meanwhile, the deaf and dumb girl shivered in her light clothing, stepping close to the humble turf fire. Poor creature, she's very handsome. No wonder they set her hearts on her, said the old woman, gazing at her guest with pity and admiration. We must dress her first. But what in the name of fortune have I fit for the likes of her to wear? She went into her room and took out her Sunday gown of brown drugget. She then opened a drawer and drew forth a pair of white stockings, a long snowy garment of fine linen, and a cap, her dead dress as she called it. These articles of attire had long been ready for a certain tryst ceremony in which she would some day fill the chief part, and only saw the light occasionally when they were hung out to air. But she was willing to give even these to the fair trembling visitor, who was turning around in dumb sorrow and wonder from her to Jamie and from Jamie back to her. The poor girl suffered herself to be dressed, and then sat down by the chimney corner and buried her face in her hands. "'What'll we do to keep up a lady like thou?' cried the old woman. "'I'll work for you both, mother,' replied the son. "'And how could a lady live on our poor diet?' she repeated. "'I'll work for her,' was all Jamie's answer. And he kept his word. The young lady was very sad for a long time, and tears stole down her cheeks many an evening while the old woman spun by the fire, and Jamie made salmon nets, an accomplishment lately acquired by him, in hopes of adding to the comfort of his guest. But she was always gentle, and tried to smile when she perceived them looking at her, and by degrees she adapted herself to their ways and their mode of life. It was not very long before she began to feed the pig, mash potatoes and meals for the fowls, and knit blue worsted socks. So a year passed, and All Hallows' Eve came around again. Mother, said Jamie, taking down his cap, I'm off to the old castle again to seek once again my fortune. Are you mad, Jamie? cried his mother in terror. Sure they'll kill you this time for what you've done to them last year. Jamie made light of her fears and went his way. As he reached the crab tree grove, he saw bright lights in the castle windows as before and heard loud talking. Creeping under the window, he heard the wee folk say, That was a poor trick Jamie Friel played us this night last year, when he stole the nice young lady from us. Aye, said the tiny woman. And I punished him for it, for there she sits, a dumb image by his heart. But he does not know that three drops out of this glass I hold in my hand would give her her hearing and her speeches back again. Jamie's heart beat fast as he entered the hall. Three drops from that goblet would heal his beloved lady. He had to get that goblet. Gathering his courage, Jamie walked through the front door. Again, he was greeted by a chorus of welcome from the company. Here comes Jamie Friel. Welcome, welcome, Jamie. As soon as the great noise subsided, the little woman said, Come, let's drink to our health, Jamie. You drink out of this glass in my hand. Jamie reached out and snatched the glass from her and darted to the door. He never knew how he reached his cabin, but he arrived there breathless and sank on a stove by the fire. 
You're surely killed this time, my poor boy, said his mother. No, indeed, better luck than ever this time. And he gave the lady three drops of the liquid that still remained at the bottom of the glass, notwithstanding his mad race over the potato field. The lady began to speak, and her first words were thanks to Jamie. The three inmates of the cabin had so much to say to one another that long after the cock crow, when the fairy music had quite ceased, they were still talking around the fire. Jamie, said the lady, be pleased to get me paper and pen and ink that I may write to my father and tell him what has become of me. She wrote, but weeks passed and she received no answer. Again and again she wrote and still no answer. At length she said, You must come with me to Dublin, Jamie, to find my father. I have no money to hire a car for you, he replied. And how can you travel to Dublin on your foot? But she implored him so much that he consented to set out with her and walk all the way from Fanet to Dublin. It was not as easy as the ferry journey, but at last they rang the bell at the door of the house in Stephen's Green. Tell my father that his daughter is here, said she to the servant who opened the door. The gentleman that lives here has no daughter, my girl. He had one once, but she died better nor a year ago. Do you not know me, Sullivan? No, poor girl, I do not. Let me see the gentleman, then. I only ask to see him, my father. Well, that's not much to ask. We'll see what can be done. A few moments later, the lady's father came to the door. Dear father, said she, don't you know me? How dare you call me father, cried the old gentleman angrily. You are an impostor. I have no daughter. Look in my face, father, and surely you'll remember me. My daughter is dead and buried. She died a long, long time ago. The old gentleman's voice changed from anger to sorrow. You can go, he concluded. Stop, dear father, till you look at this ring on my finger. Look at your name and mine engraved on it. It certainly is my daughter's ring, but I do not know how you came by it. I fear in no honest way. Call my mother. She will be sure to know me, said the poor girl, who by this time was crying bitterly. My poor wife is beginning to forget her sorrow. She seldom speaks of her daughter now. Why should I renew her grief by reminding her of her loss? But the young lady persevered, until at last the mother was sent for. Mother, she began, when the old lady came to the door. Don't you know your daughter? I have no daughter. My daughter died and was buried a long, long time ago. Still the daughter pleaded, Only look in my face and surely you'll know me. The old lady shook her head. You have all forgotten me? But look at this mole on my neck. Surely, mother, you know me now. Yes, yes, said the mother. My Gracie had a mole on her neck like that, but then I saw her in the coffin and saw the lid shut down upon her. They did not realize, of course, that the lifeless corpse they had buried was nothing more than an enchanted stick made to look like their daughter. It then became Jamie's turn to speak, and he gave the history of the fairy journey, of the theft of the young lady, 
of the stick he had seen laying in her place, of her life with his mother in Finette, of last Halloween, and of the three drops that had released her from her enchantment. The girl took up the story when Jamie paused and told how kind Jamie and his mother had been to her. Finally, the parents believed her, and they all embraced. The parents could not make enough of Jamie. They treated him with every distinction, but when he expressed his wish to return to Finette, they did not know what to do to show their gratitude. And then an awkward complication arose. The daughter would not let him go without her. If Jamie goes, I'll go too, she said. He saved me from the fairies and has worked for me ever since. If it had not been for him, dear father and mother, you would never have seen me again. If he goes, I'll go too. This being her resolution, the old gentleman said that Jamie should become his son-in-law. The mother was brought from Finette in a coach and four, and there was a splendid wedding. They all lived together in the grand Dublin house, and Jamie was heir to untold wealth at his father-in-law's death, all of which he gave to his mother, and smiled ever so sweetly when she returned to him a penny and a half for tobacco. And thus it was that he lived to the end of his days, the best son and husband ever known or heard. Hello, I'm Glenn Ostland, the man behind the Mythologi podcast. The story you just heard was commonly told in Northern Ireland and was eventually collected and published 130 years ago in 1888 in a book called Fairy and Folk Tales of the Irish Peasantry. It was collected from a well-known storyteller named Letitia McClintock, although it had been told and retold by countless others for who knows how long. Now, without knowing the exact context when the story was told, it's really difficult to know whether this story was used primarily as a form of entertainment, as a way of reinforcing the values of kindness and familial loyalty, or some other reason, like simply celebrating what it means to be Irish. But that's what myth does for us, doesn't it? It explores human truths through story, fiction, metaphor, and that's what I will be doing with this podcast. Now, I'm a writer, I'm a podcaster, and I have a master's degree and a PhD, ABD, in folklore from Indiana University. I've heard a lot of myths throughout my life, a lot of legends, a lot of folk tales from all over the world. I love telling these stories and exploring what they mean. Now, if you like this podcast and you want to see it continue, please give Mythologi a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. And if you want to hear more discussion and analysis behind these stories, come support me on Patreon and get access to exclusive content not available to the general public. You can also like our Facebook page and receive notifications with every new episode released. I'm Glenn Osland, and I am your Mythologi. Until next time, keep three magical drops in your goblets and a penny and a half for, uh, tobacco. Ugh. I love it. <laughs>